Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive from your word. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, change us. Lord, help us to know Christ better. Help us to drop our pride. Lord, help us to receive that we might live kingdom-first lives for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. In the 1960s, late 1960s, Elizabeth Hannon worked in an office, and every day around 3 o'clock, she would walk across the street, and she would buy her boss a Pepsi and a bag of peanuts. And it was her routine, every day around 3 o'clock. And she got to know her boss decently well, as did her family. Her husband, Harry, came into an inheritance, $20,000. Her boss, starting this investment firm, said, do you want to invest with me? And he decided against it. He turned it down. He would invest in something else, but he turned this investment opportunity down. Something that any of us would regret many years later because she worked for Warren Buffett. And this was before, of course, he was a billionaire. Um, He was still new. Um, And and interestingly, there were lots of people, actually, that uh, apparently Warren Buffett was very good at trying to find people to invest. Um, He was not nervous about going to neighbors, other people he knew, and saying, hey, you want to invest? Give me $5,000. Uh, and, and lots of people turned him down. Boy, talk about some regret today. To give you an idea, they estimate that Harry would have somewhere around $100 million right now if he had done that investment. But in hindsight, it's easy. But when you're there, and especially when Buffett is doing things that are different. Uh, there were some who were saying, I just can't, the way he's doing it isn't gonna work. Like this is different from what many investors are doing. And so we're gonna go with what's tried and true. We're gonna go with what we're used to, what we think works, as opposed to this thing that, there's a lot of questions here. There was a lot of doubt in the minds of many people as to whether or not Warren Buffett would make it. We all deal with doubt. We have doubts about our futures, wondering will things work out. We have doubts sometimes about friendships. We have been hurt and we doubt, we we won't know if we can trust. Some of us have doubts about the church. The church has done things that have hurt us. Some of us, probably all of us at one time or another, we have doubts about God. Does God care? Does God work in my life? Or even, does he really exist? We have doubts. 
This morning, we get to see a man whose name down from history is Doubting Thomas. We'll talk about that. Um, we get to see Thomas's story. What do we do with doubt? Open up your Bible, if you would, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. What do we invest in? What do we put our trust in? What do we seek after? John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So last week, we looked at the story where all the disciples were hiding. They were behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of what they might do to them. And Jesus shows up. And they get peace from that. He says peace to them the first time. They don't get it. He shows them his scars. He says peace again, and they get it. This is the resurrected one. But Thomas was not there. We don't know why, and John doesn't tell us. But Thomas was not there in that room when it happened. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, now like good friends and like people who have just witnessed something miraculous, they have seen the risen Lord. They wanna tell Thomas. What we find out in verse 26, it says eight days later, it is very possible that Thomas showed up not long after Jesus left. And here you got these disciples that are like, you gotta hear this. I mean, he was here. He showed up. It was actually him. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, this is a, a very emotional, very dogmatic, um, staunch response. Okay. This is not, well, I don't know. I mean, I know you guys say you saw him. Maybe if I see him, I'll believe too. This is like, there's something underneath this. I mean, look at his language. Just, Every little mark, unless I see it and touch it and put my hand into it, I will never believe. And in Greek, that I will never. It is ume, and it is really strong. I will certainly not believe. What is behind this? I mean, why is Thomas so uh, passionate about this? Why is he so, there's no way unless you do all of these things. Now, I wanna tell you two things we learn of Thomas from the Gospel of John. One is out of John chapter 11, the other is out of John chapter 14. Right, this is what's happening in John chapter 11. Lazarus has died. Jesus and the disciples, they are not in Judea where Lazarus died. They are outside of Judea. And Jesus says to his disciples, let us go again to Judea. And the disciples are freaked out. And what they say to him is, no, they want to stone you. Right? And in the last year while he was at Judea, 
Twice they tried to arrest him. Once they tried to stone him. And they put the word out. They put a hit on him. I mean, this is like, you, don't, you can't go back to Judea. And then Jesus says, well, Lazarus is taking a nap. That's essentially what they hear. He says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they go, I, like, you want us to go back and risk our lives to wake somebody up from a nap? That makes no sense. And so then it says, and Jesus told them plainly, he's died. And then Thomas speaks up. And Thomas says, let's go with him and die also. Now, that has been taken at times as a very despondent, pessimistic, oh, let's just go with him too. We'll just go die too. I, I don't think that's Thomas. His response here in chapter 20 even his response in 14, I think this is a man who longs so desperately to be with his Lord that he's willing to die and even encourage everybody else. He is so into Jesus that he's like, all right, you're going back? I'm going too, and guys, let's all go. Let's do this together. So when you get to 14 and Jesus says, I'm going away, is what he tells them. And they're like, well, where are you going? And he goes, oh, you know where I'm going. And Thomas is like, no, no, we don't know where you're going, Lord. Like, how can we? And, and he's, that, that whole line, I think, I think there's a panic in Thomas. Like, no, no you're leaving and we don't know. Like, I, I, I wanna know because I would do anything to remain with you. Like, I would die. I would tell everybody else to die. I mean, that, that, to be with you. And so you get to this passage. And, and by the way, this is a side note, but I have to say it. He's known as Doubting Thomas. I mean, that's his label. That's what history has given him. Not Passionate Thomas. Or I would do anything to stay with you, Jesus Thomas. He doesn't get that. He gets this one label from this one scene, this one little segment of his life. That's how labels are sometimes. I, I, I once worked for somebody and my boss had this way of meeting somebody and like kind of coming to a, this is what I think of this person. And it stuck. I mean, if you showed up and you said something dumb, well, that's dumb Jim over there. <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter what the person did after that. That's dumb Jim. But it just, it got stuck. You know, I thought about myself this morning. Right? If you had to label me off of this morning, like what I want to be, I want to be good dad. Loving dad, but I would be known as yelling dad if you labeled me this morning. In fact, at one point I was wearing a collar, I'd be father yelling dad if you had to label me this morning. But like, I wanna be cool dad. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know that I'm the best dad in the world, but my kids actually do like me sometimes. We have fun. Like that moment this morning, that, that's not the totality of who I am. This moment in John 20, this moment of doubt, that's not the totality of who Thomas is. How do you like to be labeled? I'd imagine everybody in this room, especially if you're a minority or a woman, you have been labeled. You've been told something by society. You've sometimes been told something by a job. You've been told something even at times by a friend. You've been labeled. And that label is not the totality of who you are. 
But that's what people want to hold on to. And let me reverse it. I would imagine that all of us in this room at times have labeled others. Can we stop the labeling? Can we stop judging people based off of this one attribute and say this is who they are and start recognizing Thomas was more than this one moment behind these doors with with these other disciples. He was a passionate man who seemed to really love Jesus. And and you know what? This is just my theory. My theory is the reason Thomas is so dogmatic is because he is so hurt by all of this. That Thomas, maybe more than all the disciples, let me give you three reasons why I think Thomas is hurt. Number one, Jesus failed him. At least as much as Thomas understands. Here's Thomas going, I've given up everything. I've given up my career. I've walked around with three years with you, and then you died. Like this whole mission we thought was everything is over. I was ready to give my life. I am so glad I didn't. But if you think for a moment I'm gonna open up myself again to that, after knowing he died, he failed me. Not only that, I can't help but wonder if even his friends, as these disciples are trying to say, no, we saw him, we saw him. Here's one of the last things that Thomas has in his mind of his friends. Thomas is ready to die with Jesus. Peter said he was ready to die with Jesus. But what happens when the Roman soldiers come to get Jesus? They all run away. I mean, here's what I think of Thomas. Again, I'm speculating, but I'm using everything we know from Thomas. Peter takes the sword and he goes after the Romans by himself. I can imagine Thomas going, I'm getting to the front of the line for this because this is my Lord and this is my mission and I'll do whatever. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops him and all the disciples run away. And I can just picture Thomas watching them go and then going, you're all betraying him. And, and again, a little speculation. I wonder if he thought Jesus betrayed him too because Jesus is the one that actually stops Peter. Jesus is the one that says, no, I've had enough of this. And he lets himself get arrested and killed. And all Thomas has is, So the mission I believed in failed. The friends who said they stood by me all ran. And even the one who was leading us stopped us from protecting him. You think I'm gonna believe in this again? Let me ask you, have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever thrown your heart into something only to have it fail? Have you ever thought you could trust somebody and you found out, at least in one area, you couldn't? And so then you begin to wonder, can I trust them in other areas? I think Thomas has every right to be a little doubtful, to have a little fear, to be like, I'm not ready to just flip a switch. Like I threw everything into this and it didn't work. And if you think just from your testimony alone, I'm suddenly gonna go, oh, it's all good again. I don't know that Thomas has it in him. We all have doubt because we all have pain. We all have doubt because we've all been in a circumstance that didn't work out. We all have doubt because we wanted God to do one thing and it didn't happen the way we wanted it to. And so we begin to wonder, what are you doing 
Are you gonna come through? Or even, maybe in those silent moments, are you even there? Thomas had significant doubt because Thomas had so many things in his life pointing him toward that doubt. How about you? Do you have any doubt this morning? Do you have any doubt in your heart about who you can trust, about who you can invest in, about whether or not God is really, truly on your side? I'm going to be very transparent for a moment. Um, I want to share with you a little of my doubt. Um, but I want you to look at the back of the bulletin. So the church will celebrate four years in September of this year. Four years as a church. If you include when we started a Bible study just trying to grow it, we're in year four now. We have never had a zero deficit in the beginning of May the entire time we've been at church. Praise God. That is incredible. But you know what? I still have doubts. And if I had to break it down, just to let you know where I'm at, maybe 75% of the time, maybe it's 50, maybe it's somewhere in between, I am trusting God. I'm trusting God with this church. I'm trusting God with my family. I'm trusting God with my own life. But there's this other sliver over here, and whether it's 25% or whatever it is, there's this sliver over here where I have some struggles. And here are my struggles. In my profession, I have no product. You all give money but I don't give you an item back. I don't give you stock. I don't give you like some vacation. I, you just give money. Do you know how hard that is to rely purely on just people wanting to give money? When you can't just like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lower the price on something. Next week, it'll cost you less to come in the building, so. What do you do with that? There is no, there's no, you can't do that. We have that, we have this. Hey, and just, just, I have mentioned something like this about, I don't know, it may have been a month or two ago, um, where every church, you have people that leave. If your church exists for any amount of time, you have people that leave. Um, hopefully, most of it's not because you ticked them off or they got bored of you or whatever. It's usually people are, they're moving because they have a job or something, but people still leave. And, and we have about a half dozen families that are gonna be leaving between, actually one is already out, but they're leaving between now and like summer, middle of summer. That, that is scary because then I go, God, what are we gonna do? And it feels like so often when something goes right, something else plops right down that's not right. You think, Lord, zero deficit, awesome, but then why? <laughs> like, couldn't I have at least a day to enjoy the zero deficits? And so there's this constant trust. And you know what? I don't have constant trust. 
I have doubts. This sermon's for me. It may be for you. Maybe you're the person that 100% of the time you always trust God with everything. You're awesome. (laughs) The Lord bless you and keep you. (laughs) But that's not me. And I would imagine it's probably not most of us in this room. So what do we do? What do we do with our doubts? Go back into your Bible. I think there are two things we glean from this passage about how we deal with our doubts, whether it's ours or it's somebody else that we know, whether we're struggling with what we are having troubles with or whether we know there's somebody. We know somebody who needs the Lord and we're trying to figure out how to help them. What do we do with people who doubt? Here's the first thing. Give them space to doubt. Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. In this text, there is no condemnation. Not once do the friends go, you know, we spent a week, you jerk, trying to convince you. And I mean, think about it. Think how excited they were. Like they saw the risen Lord and they're going, Thomas, it's real. And Thomas is going, no. Thomas got defensive. How do you feel when people get defensive with you? Especially when you're trying to help them and they snap at you. And yet, eight days later, they are still with Thomas. And as far as we know, they're still trying to convince him. No criticism, no condemnation. There is space for Thomas to deal with his doubt. Jesus is the same. Jesus makes a special trip for Thomas, but he doesn't walk in and go, how dare you? He doesn't walk in and go, you know, Thomas, I told you this all along. Why couldn't you believe? And you know what? Doubting Thomas, we should have doubting all the other disciples and doubting the women and doubting everybody because they all doubted. But Jesus has room for the doubt because he's big enough to handle it. And I would say to you, where your doubts are, you do not have to criticize yourself or hate yourself or look down on yourself. There is room for doubt. There's room to struggle. There's room to kind of pour through where I have some issues and where I've got some trust problems. Because the disciples could do it with Thomas. Jesus could do it with Thomas. Give room for doubt. And on a practical level, you can't change somebody's doubt anyway just because you want it changed. Like, you don't have that control. You can't just flip a switch and go, well, as long as I say the right words, they're gonna stop doubting. It doesn't work that way. Because doubt, hear this, doubt is not just an intellectual thing where as long as I just give the best argument, it'll flip it. Doubt is intellectual, it is emotional, it is experiential, it is spiritual, it's part of us. And so you cannot just make somebody stop doubting. I got this phone call, like three phone calls actually, I finally answered the third one. Um, If you call me and I don't have your number, please leave a message, because if you don't, I'm not gonna get back with you. Like I don't answer calls, I get so many calls on my cell that I don't know who they are. Well I got two phone calls from an air conditioning company this week. 
and I won't give the name, they're a great company, but they called me twice. They left a message and they said, your appointment on Friday from nine to 11, we're just calling to confirm that, we'll be out there. I don't have them as my air conditioning company. And so I'm like, I, I'm, not, I'm just not gonna worry about this. They probably got the wrong number. They'll, but then they call back again. I didn't answer it. I listened to the message. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to answer. So they called a third time. I said, like, I, I don't have you guys as my, I don't even have an air conditioning company. And they said, well, yeah, but don't you live at, and I already forgot my former address. It's on Quail Hollow Drive, but I forgot the four numbers. And they named my Quail Hollow Drive address that I lived at like five or six years ago. And I said, um, I don't own that house. And this is what he said. But can we go service the air conditioning unit? Sure, why not? Like, well, I cannot give you permission to service someone else's air conditioning unit. I don't own it. And you cannot change somebody's doubt. You don't own it. And you cannot just flip the switch on your own doubt either. Please don't hate yourself because you can't, because you're struggling with some doubt. Don't beat yourself up because you're struggling with some doubt. What do you do? Here's what they did. They gave space, but they did not give up. They allowed the doubt without criticism, without attacking or condemnation, but they didn't give up. Right, here are some things that happen in this text. Um, because of the way it's written, after eight days, I actually do think that Thomas like, came in not long after Jesus left. Maybe it was that night, maybe it was Monday morning, and they began to tell him, Jesus came, and he didn't listen. And they kept telling him, Jesus came. Not berating him, not trying to make him look bad or feel bad, but continuing to tell him, even to the point, and this is so interesting to me, they locked the doors again. But John does not say, as he did the first time, they did it out of fear. And as far as we know, once Jesus, once he raised, and they're like, oh, like, peace, we have peace with Jesus. I can't help but wonder, and again, total speculation here, but I can't help but wonder if they locked the doors just so Thomas could have the same experience they did. Because that was part of their experience of the resurrected Lord, that the door was locked and yet Jesus came in. And now Thomas, though he was not there, the doors are locked and yet Jesus comes in. Thomas gets it all. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus goes, here's what you wanted, Thomas. And by the way, you didn't tell me that, but I know it because I'm the resurrected Lord. And here's everything you wanted. I will not give up on you just because you were doubting. Here's the scars, Thomas, I'm letting you see. And it's only after that that he then says, now, stop disbelieving and believe. And I think there is a point where we can say to somebody as they are wrestling and you recognize at some point our doubt becomes an excuse. At some point, we just don't wanna take the step of faith. And can I tell you, you will always have doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is when we take a step forward even when we have the doubt. Because it's always gonna be there this side of eternity. So, at that point, Jesus then says to him, now Thomas, it's time. 
No more excuses. It's time. I'm showing you all of it. Believe, Thomas. And here's why we don't give up. Look at his reaction. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Do you know that is the only time in the Gospel of John that anyone calls him God? And do you know where it started? John chapter one and verse one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here's the two bookends of John's gospel. The high announcement of who he is, and then you get to the end, and the greatest doubter proclaims as the greatest disciple, you are God. Here's why we don't give up. Because the Lord can take the greatest of doubters and turn them into great disciples. Parents, I know how hard it is because I'm raising them to raise your children and pray to God they know Jesus. And that when they go away, they stay in a relationship with him. Now, I don't know this. I hope I don't ever. But I also know that there are parents, your kids have wandered away from the faith. Give them space, but don't give up. Give them space, but continue to pray for them, continue to share with them when you can without being critical, without judging them. Love them with the love of Jesus and pray for them because the greatest doubters can become great disciples. And I read you a very short quote I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. Man, if you're just kind of philosophically judging them all. Well, that was said by C.S. Lewis. What did God do through C.S. Lewis? Now, my point is not that if you're once a doubter and you become a disciple, you're gonna go change the world like C.S. Lewis. It's not my point. My point is God can take the greatest of doubters and still transform them into disciples. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on yourself. Continue to search. Continue to look. Continue to pray. Continue to ask God. Don't give up. Because what you have to look forward to, the possibilities are great and beautiful. You will trust in something. No matter what your doubt is, you will trust in something. You'll trust in yourself or you'll trust in a company. Uh, you'll trust in something. Harry the man who could have invested with Warren Buffett. He did actually invest his inheritance. He invested it in a pyramid scheme and lost it all. You will invest in something. You will invest your life, you'll invest your future, you'll invest your money, you will invest in something. Um, Paul Samuelson was the first American to win the Nobel Peace Prize for Economic Science. 
He is also known as the father of, father of modern economics. This is a money dude. I mean, this is what he does. When he died about 10 years ago, his children found that he had one stock. Berkshire Hathaway. He invested in Warren Buffett. One stock. If you have one stock, make it the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Lord, as each one of us has our struggles with doubt, Lord, allow us to have the freedom without beating ourselves up to work through our doubts. Lord, and give us the compassion and the patience to help others work through doubts. That we aren't perfect people. We don't have all the answers. But Lord, help us not to give in, not to give up, but to help ourselves and others to move more and more towards faith that we might trust fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.